good to be together again this evening. You are such a good audience. You just uh, pull it out of a speaker, I think. And I thank you for your kindnesses in that. I'd like to turn tonight to Luke chapter 10. We're going to leave the memory verses. And we're going to go right into the message because I'm loaded. And last night I kept you too long. Luke chapter 10 is where Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Now, it wasn't the 12 disciples. It was 70 disciples. So he sent the two out, or he sent the 12 out. In, in Matthew, it talks about that. Here it says he sent out the 70 two by two. And they were to witness to a group of people and they came back rejoicing about what had been accomplished and rejoiced that their names were written in heaven. Jesus said, make sure you know that. That's the thing to rejoice about. It's not just that you saw my works being done, my power being revealed, but it is that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'd like to read Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. And just think of yourself as one who is involved in God's work as we read this. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give, for the labor is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. 
He that heareth you, heareth me, and he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despises him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, he wasn't saying we couldn't be excited about seeing God work out the details of our lives and work out our relationships with people. But he did say that the most important thing is that your name is written in heaven, that you have been identified as a follower of Jesus. And if we've been identified as a follower of Jesus, then we have a work to do. And so I've entitled the message tonight, Empowered, Empowered to Serve. And thinking about the Holy Spirit and what he means to us. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father sent Jesus to this earth and he was here to show us something about the Father. And he said when he left that he's going to send the Comforter, and the Comforter is going to point us toward him. Now, there's some misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit running around in, in New York State. I mean, where we live. Maybe there is here, too, some misunderstanding about what the Holy Spirit's role is. I think about the Jewish people and their religion without Jesus. Don't you pity that? A religion without Jesus. But I also know Christians that are living without the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Isn't that a shame as well? They don't have an idea how God could ever lead them. They don't ask God to lead them, but they're a Christian. Now, I find it interesting that in the first part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have a clear description of who God the Father is. We have about the Spirit of God, and we have the prophecies, many prophecies of Jesus, but we have it clear in the Old Testament who God the Father is. We come to the Gospels, and we have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. We come to the Acts and the Epistles, and we have a clear understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Isn't that beautiful? Now, all sections talk about all three, but there's an emphasis on the Father in the Old Testament. There's an emphasis on who Jesus is in the Gospels, and there's an emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the Acts and the Epistles. Now, the Holy Spirit is pointed out through Scripture as being given in measure to the Old Testament saints. And maybe you can think with me of some of those Old Testament saints that at times were empowered by the Holy Spirit, where it says the Spirit of God was upon them. So we know the evidence of the Holy Spirit is back there. 
oh, I could come up with a list of those people like uh, some of the judges, Gideon and Samson, the kings like Solomon, actually David, Saul, where it says about the Spirit of God was upon them, about the prophets like Elijah and Elisha. How would you like to have an Elijah and Elisha in the service tonight? You know, when you think of them, you think of miracles, don't you? You think of the power of God working through them. I note, though, that in Scripture, that it's not miracle-laden. It's not that every book of the Bible is full of miracles. But it seems like that there's certain time periods that miracles were especially needed. God doesn't do a miracle just for the fun of doing a miracle. I mean, if he did, you know, we'd ask them to have a cow jump over the moon, right? But it wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't, it wouldn't say anything about his very character. It doesn't have an end in it. He's not out to just show off. He is out to show us his character of love and forgiveness and desire for relationship with mankind. But we have certain times that, like Elijah and Elisha, where they're just miracle after miracle. And it's because the people needed to get back to God. They were in the judge period. They were in a period where they needed to be coming back to God. And I read today of people in other religions who are shown visions of Jesus and they come to God. Muslims who are converted because they know about Jesus, but they don't know him as their savior. Until God does a miracle or shows them and presses upon them somehow that they need a savior. Now, I note then, as we come into the New Testament, you can turn with me to a couple of verses here. Let's go to John 3, where it says something different is going to take place. At least it says Jesus, there's something different about Jesus than any of the other ones that, that lived who were prophets. And I underlined this in my Bible in John 3, 34, speaking of Jesus, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, it was an unlimited amount of the Spirit of God. As I said, back here in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was poured out at times when there was a need, and it was a limited amount of the power of God. Now, when we think of the Spirit of God in the Scripture, we always think of power, the power of God. When I go up to the wood splitter to split a piece of wood, I put that wood on there, and I see the wedge, and I see the motor, I hear the motor running, and I say, how's this going to get split? Is that what I say? I pull the lever. And the hydraulics are there. The 20-some ton 
push is there. And as believers, we have the opportunity to ask for the power of God in our life. He is there, it is available, and we need to avail ourselves to it because he's promised us that we are going to have an unlimited power to serve him. Now, back here in Luke 10, where we read, the Holy Spirit was still not given out in, in fullness, but the disciples obviously had the power of God because it says here they healed the sick and they went into cities and they were persecuted and they were able to uh, withstand the persecution that was there. In fact, when they came back in verse 17, they said to Jesus, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. When they said, in the name of Jesus, come out, the devils came out. And so we see that that power was available there. But we see that Jesus still hadn't given the fullness of the Spirit because he still existed. He still did not give it for all humankind, but the, the 70 disciples here had it. The 12 disciples had it back there in Matthew. And we know that for certain occasions, there was others that had it. But the promise is through Scripture that there is going to be a pouring out of his Spirit upon us. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1 now. Jesus is ready to ascend, and he said that the disciples and 120 of his followers are to go to the upper room, and they are to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And in Acts 1, 80 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to receive power, and the book of Acts is full of the power of the Holy Spirit. The people were empowered to serve. On the day of Pentecost there in Acts 2, there was at least 16 nationalities of people represented. So it wasn't just one nationality that was going to get the power of God. It was those who had come and believed on the name of Jesus. And he filled them with the Holy Ghost. And they were a person who was able to proclaim the news of Jesus Christ. Now tonight, if we dismiss the service at this moment, and we said we would like you to go to the city and to go to a place and witness to people, would there be any kind of fear in your heart to do that? Would there be any apprehension about going and meeting the rough and the tough in the city? There may be. Do we have a message to be ashamed of? No, we have a message the world needs. May we not be ashamed, because he says in Scripture, if we're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came, and as Peter preached, he says in the end there, in verse 38, he said, when they were pricked in their heart, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I believe the Scripture teaches that the Holy Ghost comes upon every one of us when we open up 
our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you believe here? Amen? Amen. The Holy Spirit comes at that time. And that he is available for us. The lever is ready to be pulled, so to speak. And the only thing that will hinder the power of God is when we're unwilling to move and to do. The Bible instructs us that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're not to quench the Spirit. But we are to listen to the Spirit. And so we have in Scripture where people listen to the Spirit of God and saw things happen, and we say, why doesn't it happen in the church today? Do you ever hear anyone say that? Well, I want you to know things are happening in the church today. You're just not looking. Because every time somebody accepts Jesus as their Savior, the Spirit of God is working. Every time somebody is kept from going to the bar who used to go to the bar, the Spirit of God is working. Every time somebody is tempted overwhelmingly tempted and they have victory so they don't look at pornography anymore. The Holy Spirit is working. It is by the power of God that we stand. And we have the promise of that power. And in Luke, we have different references where it says that when the Father, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask Him, those who are open to it, and yet so many times we look at Christendom today and we realize that there's not the fullness of the Spirit. In my own life, there's times when I want to see God work and He doesn't clearly because I have not opened myself up as I should have opened up. In the end of Luke, He says He's going to send the promise of the Father unto you. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. If we pity the Jew without Jesus, we need to pity the Christian who doesn't know anything about being an instrument that the Holy Spirit can work through. So tonight I'd like to just talk about three things that are needed in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about jumping 20 feet in the air. I really don't care when people tell me that they jump 20 feet in the air, but I sure like to see how they're walking when they come back down. <laughs> because the Spirit of God is going to change people from the inside out. And so if their life is changed... I don't really care how high they jumped. I don't really care about their experience as much as if it's genuine, they will be able to live a righteous life. So I'm going to give you three things that I think we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there are times when things get in the way and we're not full as we should be, but that we can again weed out those things and be full again. Number one, I believe we need to have a desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are people that have a passion to accomplish something in life, and that passion drives them. 
as Brother Claire said in the devotional. But brothers and sisters, we can only have one real passion in life. We have interests, we have things we need to do, our work and all of that, but we can really only have one passion, one driving thing in our life. And the person that doesn't have a focus on, on the work of the kingdom is a person that will be sidetracked with all kinds of other passions. And so they won't really desire to be filled with the Spirit. They don't really desire to be led of God. A man came to work with our crew some years ago, and um, he was rather religious, I guess you'd say. He, he didn't want to go to church, but he, he claimed to know who God was and Jesus, and religious. You know what I mean? Is there a difference between being religious and having a relationship with God? He was religious, okay? But not too religious. He wasn't over the board. Well, one day his wife stopped in and she said, she said, uh, Dale, my husband left me. He went off with another woman. She said, I wonder if you'd go talk to him. You know him, would you go talk to him? I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. We're in the middle of summer Bible school right now. And actually, she came right before Bible school started that night. And I said, when would you like me to visit him? She says, well, any time this week. Well, you know, the week of Bible school went by, and I kept praying, when am I going to get to see this man? And Saturday, I told my son, sons, you need to pray because I need to go visit this man about his situation. So I left. It was lunchtime. I left in the vehicle, and his wife had told me he has two different jobs and that I might find him at those jobs on, a, on that Saturday. Well, Saturday afternoon, I got sleepy. The sun was shining, and I got sleepy, and I pulled off to the side of the road, and a power nap does me worlds of good. So for 10 minutes, I got my power nap. I didn't have an appointment with this man, remember. God was just leading me. And so I went to the, tried to find the place, and I couldn't find the place. So I went to the other place, which was another half hour. And before I got to the other place, I came to four-way intersection with four stop signs. Do you have those here? You know what I mean? Everybody has to stop, and they have to take turns who goes next. So I pulled up to a stop sign, and immediately another man pulled up to the stop sign, and it was the man I was looking for. Had my power nap time been of God to orchestrate that we would meet at that intersection. So it was my turn to go first. What would you have done? I pulled around beside him. Now we're three feet apart from each other. He saw me. I saw him. He sped off. He didn't want to see me. But the Spirit of God had moved and led to that point to that juncture, and I said, God, what do you want me to do? And it seemed to me I was supposed to chase him. <laughs> it seemed to me I wasn't to give up that easy. And so I took off after him. And we were on some roads like your roads here. And we were not speeding, but we were going fast enough. And he got ahead of me and went up a dirt road. 
In a bend of the road, he got ahead of me and went up a dirt road. And as he got to the top of the dirt road, he went around a corner. But I came around a corner and saw the dirt road and saw the dust and the back end of his vehicle as he went around that dirt road, that corner. God, what do you want me to do now? He doesn't want to see me. But I backed up and went up the dirt road. And guess who, should, who I should meet as I got to the corner? Him coming down. He'd gone around there figuring he lost me. And he came down. And so now again, we're coming by each other at three feet distance from each other. I look at him, he looks at me, and he goes on by. I sit there in my car on the hill and say, God, what do you want me to do? And then I look in my rearview mirror. And the brake lights come on. And then the reverse lights go on. And then he's backing up the hill. And he backs up beside me. And he sits there beside me. He rolls down his window. I roll down my window. He puts his arms like this. He says, Dale, how you doing? I say, come on, Kevin. Something's going on in your life. Something's going on in your marriage. This isn't right. Oh, yeah, well, it's been kind of hard. He's petting his dog who was sitting on the other side of the seat there. I said, you get to my house tomorrow night. I want to see you in my house, in my study with your wife. He was there the next night. He started to confess to his wife what he was into with this other lady. I said, next Sunday night, you get back here, both of you. You work on what I told you to work on. You get back here the next Sunday night, next Sunday night. He walked in my study with his wife. He walked in the door and he says, Dale, I didn't tell you everything last night, last time. He said, I got more to tell you. That man started to come clean. What was that? Had the Spirit of God done anything in that whole arrangement? Now, sad to say, the man isn't living for the Lord now, and they're separated now. This was years ago that this happened. But he knows where to go when he needs to talk to somebody. Sure he does. And the question is, is the power of God strong enough to bring that man back? Certainly he is. The Spirit of God is at work, and we have to be vessels that desire to be used so that that can happen. I say God pulled everything together in that whole thing, and I just was a witness to that. I was a witness to God's hand at work in modern day time that we met, that he came, that they got back together for a time. That increases my desire to see the work of God. These disciples, as they were here proclaiming the good news to people, there were people that rejected and we get weary and say, oh, is it really worth it? And I imagine they had to shake the dust off their shoes sometimes and, and say, we have to leave because you people aren't open to it and move on to the next city. But when they come back, they were pumped up and they said, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus, Jesus is, is hearing their testimony of what they saw. One of the th three things that are needed to be filled with the Spirit is that desire to be filled with the Spirit. Desire to be used of God. 
not for ourselves, not for our name, but because God's kingdom is what we're living for. That is our passion. Number two, in order to be filled with the Spirit, we're going to need to be a clean, separated from any known sin, a clean vessel. That means we practice what we talked about earlier this week. We practice repentance when we fall. We practice cleaning up any area in our life that is dirty. I get callers who say they've sinned too much. Callers on the billboard who call and say they've sinned too much that they could never get, get clean. Well, that's a lie of the devil. But they have all kinds of things in their life and it's all, ki- all kinds of dirt there, and they just remember it, and they remember it. You know, we can't just automatically dump out air. If this cup was empty, we can't just automatically dump out air. No matter how we turn it, we can't dump out air. We can't change what happened in the past. We can be forgiven for it, but we can't forget all those things. But we sure can fill up our life with something else and push out the air push out the bed, bring the good to surface, bring the good to to be the abundant thought. Our spirit, our emotions, and our mind must be purified because God refuses to put his fullness in a dirty vessel. No one is exempt from being immoral. By definition, we all are immoral. But by the grace of God, that does not reign in our life. By the grace of God, we have found the cleansing power of God. And when that power is there... We know it. When that cleansing is there, we know it. But if there's dirt that's there, we're not going to have the fullness of the Spirit. If we're hiding immorality in our life, if we're hiding something that, that we know needs to be made right with God, the fullness is not going to be there. Let's use this illustration. In the 70s, down in southeastern Kentucky, there was a preacher man. He built a church, and he put his house on the second floor of the church. And they needed water in this house for his family. And so he went to town, and he got a half-inch pipe. And he, he ran it up the mountain because the water in a hand-dug well was, well, do you know what sulfur water is? Okay, he didn't want none of that. So he took it up and he put it in a coal vein up there. They had dug coal by hand, you know, eight foot by 40 
eight foot wide trenches or whatever and dug coal out and some of those places were 40 foot deep and he had fresh water up there and he put that half inch line in there and they had water. And it was great. His family really appreciated it. But guess what? Sometimes when somebody was in the shower, somebody else turned to spigot on downstairs and, well, they were left high and dry. You know? So he went to town and he said, we're going to fix this. And he went and got a two-inch piece of pipe, a two-inch pipe, and he put that up there. Well, now he had a problem with his faucet. They didn't quite handle the pressure. There was too much pressure. And it started blowing out. The old ones used to have the old rubber gaskets, and they blew out the rubber gaskets sometimes, and he's fixing these all the time. But he had tons more pressure. Nobody ever complained about the pressure in their shower. They could do two, three things at once. And I give that illustration to say, which do we want? Do we want the half-inch pipe? Do we want a trickle? Or would we be okay with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Sometimes I wonder, do I, do I really want the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Do I want God to lead me in places that could be dangerous or places that could be, well, like the disciples here, like these 70, they went into some pretty wild places, apparently, because it said that they rejected, and, and it says it, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than for some of these cities. And these people didn't repent, and they were, they were being told the truth, and it says there in verse 15, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. Well, do I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Do I want all that is available? I find it interesting that in Scripture, the Bible equates the fullness of the Spirit with wine. I think there's three different places. Like in Ephesians 5, 18, it says, Be not therefore drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be... You know the rest of it? What is it? filled with the Spirit. Now, why does he say that? Why does he give that? Because a drunk man does things he normally would not do, and a Spirit-filled man or woman does things they normally would not do. They are motivated to do things for the kingdom of God that they normally would not do. The Spirit of God has to be invited in. We have to have a desire to be filled with the Spirit and then to keep that vessel clean. And there's no limit to God's power. That's what he says. I haven't experienced all the fullness of God's power in my life, but I desire to experience whatever he can give me. And he'll give me as much as I give room for. Maybe I only have the half-inch pipe and need the two-inch pipe. But there's no limit to God's power. Number three, to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be consecrated and ready to be used. The fire department must get really upset when they go to a house fire 
And, um, well, really, it's hard on them when they go and somebody has lost their life in the house fire. And then they find out that there were smoke detectors there, but the batteries were taken out. Can you imagine how disheartening that would be? I don't know if you do this or not. Wake up to an alarm in the morning. How many of you wake up to an alarm in the morning? Okay. Don't raise your hand, but do you push the snooze button? Now the question is, why would you put an alarm for a certain time if you're going to snooze after it? I don't understand that, but that's okay if you do that. If you need that time to wake up and get going. But I'm comparing that to the Christian. The person who wants to be a Christian, but they don't want the battery in, the alarm, the smoke alarm. Or when they know they should get up at a certain time, they push the snooze. I don't want anybody to feel guilty about pushing the snooze. I'm just using it as an illustration. There's too many Christians that have no clue what it means to pray that God would lead them to someone today, to empower them, to speak to them, or calling out on the power of God to keep them when their temptations come. The Holy Spirit works through your spirit. And we talk about the conscience being vital in our life. And I've concluded that people who have seared their conscience have closed off the conduit for the Holy Spirit to work. If somebody's not sensitive to their conscience about the laws of the land, if they're not sensitive about how they've hurt someone else, if they just kind of ignore and let their conscience be seared, why would they ever think that the Holy Spirit would lead them in day-to-day -day events? The Holy Spirit works through our spirit. And if we want the Holy Spirit to flow out of us, we have to open up our spirit and consecrate ourselves to God's work ready to be used. And a spirit that's purified and a spirit that's alive to God is a spirit that should be willing to be poured out for God. Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I want to be willing to do that. Now turn with me to Acts where we see an example of a man who seemed to have these three things. A desire to be used of God. And I'm just putting together a conglomeration of verses in Acts chapter 6 and 7 about Stephen. And I go to Acts, let's go to Acts 6, 8 first, where it says, Stephen, full of faith and power, 
This was after the day of Pentecost. He veiled himself to the Spirit of God that came upon his repentance. And it says he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. In verse 3, it gave a quality of him. It says he was a man full of the Holy Ghost and with wisdom. In verse 10, it says those who heard him were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Brothers and sisters, I'm not foolish enough to think that I could bring revival to any congregation. This is not the work of man. This is the work of God. And if the Spirit speaks to you and speaks to me through this week, we're going to thank Him for it, right? Because He knows what our needs are. And I pray that God would take messages this week and he'd take you the scenic route, take you places I never even talk about. It's fun to be the minister and stand in the back and people come and thank you for something you never said because they thought you said it because God laid something on their heart. Something from the message triggered it. These people here weren't able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spake. And if my spirit is what it should be, the Holy Spirit can work through me, but you in the pew also have that same responsibility this week, and you can impact each other, and you can encourage each other. What did Stephen say? Well, it says in Acts 7, a message that he gave. A long message. And people were convicted to the point that they stoned him. He said some words I haven't used yet this week. Verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your father did. I don't know that any of you are doing that. But he must have known that they were doing that. If you're doing that, if you are resisting, you're the one that's harmed by it. I'm not the one that's harmed. You're the one that's harmed. The Spirit of God spoke through Stephen because he was willing to be used. He was a pure vessel and he was available. And he even was willing to go to death, the grave, because of the message. He was ready to meet his maker. The Holy Spirit is ready to give power and boldness when it's our desire to be used of God. And I wonder what I would have done if that man's wife had not come to me and says, Dale, would you please go and visit my husband? But I promised her I would. And because I promised her I would, 
I felt compelled to go do that, to keep my word. And God used me in a small way that day. But it really, I came home and told my boys, I found him, I found him. I didn't jump 20 feet, but I jumped a couple feet, I think. I was so excited to have found that man and to have met him and invited him to my house to get his life straightened out. And he was there the next night. Just a little piece in what God's doing in his kingdom. I want to be a purposeful person. I want to be a useful person. You want to be a useful person. But it's going to take stopping and saying, God, which direction now? This way or that way? Stop or go for it? The Spirit of God leads in amazing ways. We were in revivals a few weeks ago, and I was speaking about the thought life. And in the thought life, for some reason, I interjected about people who commit suicide or want to commit suicide and how their thoughts are, are wrong and they need to get it corrected. And I mentioned it three different times. And somebody was listening in on the call system that night. And she said she cried every time I spoke about suicide. I couldn't see the person. They were in the call-in line. She said I mentioned suicide three times in that message about our thoughts. That's what my message was on, the thoughts. And I know I did mention it. I know that. But that's where she needed. That's, the Spirit led me to say that that night because that person needs help to get over those thoughts. And you can pray for that person with me. We've been in communication with that person this week while we're here. We're trying to help that person to have a different thought pattern about who they are. Brothers and sisters, there's work for us all. We're a part of a kingdom that God is orchestrating. Are you yielded for his service? God has a claim on your life. And when he claims something, we best yield. And when we yield, God accepts whatever we'll give up to him. And he'll also fill whatever we give up. And what God fills, he certainly uses. The disciples here in our account tonight were used in a mighty way. They were willing. There was evidence that the Spirit of God was with them. And there was evidence that the Spirit of God is with you. Some outward characteristics of a believer who's filled with the Spirit. I jotted down five of them. One, a boldness to stand for Christ. Doesn't mean they are a preacher, but they're willing to stand for Christ. When everybody else is laughing at the jokes that are dirty, they're not laughing. They are standing for what is right. Number two, powerful speech that convicts. When they speak the truth, people know it's the truth. 
Two plus two is four. Did you know that? It always will be. That's the truth. And so the truth, when it's spoken by someone who has a life that is, is seeking truth, has a powerful, powerful testimony. Number three, power to forgive those who wronged you. Somebody has the power to forgive. Evidence of the Holy Spirit. A radiant face. Stephen had it when he was being stoned, a radiant face. When we have a peace and a joy that's radiating, evidence of being filled with the Spirit. When we're able to be led by God into service to others, there is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you empowered to live the Christian life in service for him? Is your passion to see that the name of Jesus is lifted up? The Holy Spirit came not to lift up itself, but to lift up the name of Jesus. That's what it says there in John. And so when people tell me that they got the Holy Spirit and all they did because of the Holy Spirit, I say, great. But does it point to what Jesus said and what Jesus did? If it doesn't, they have a misunderstanding of what the Holy Spirit's work is. It's not just for an emotional experience, even though God gives us emotion. But it is for us to know that the power is there, the lever to be pulled, that the Spirit of God can use us as a channel to minister to those that we meet. Let's stand together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for the opportunity to read Scripture night after night, to be washed by it, to be directed by it. Father, we need your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for times we've grieved the Spirit, quenched the Spirit, resisted the Spirit. Oh God, we want to be people that are more than just the average Christian who are just religious. We want to be people with a relationship and a relationship that is showing forth fruit. Bless this congregation tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dismiss, is there anyone that has a testimony that they'd like to share?